Welcome to the latest ATP podcast with me, Candy Reid, where this week we focus on the doubles game. Over the course of the show, we'll hear from the 2023 Roland Garros champion, Austin Krychek, and one of the world's leading coaches and greatest tennis minds, Louis Kayer, talks tactics. But first, as the dust settles on their first major title together at Wimbledon, Neil Skupski and Wesley Kulhoff sat down with Chris Bowers and I to talk about their tennis journey. We started by speaking about another ball sport, though. As avid football fans, Neil being a Liverpool fan and Wesley supporting Chelsea, we discovered that the duo are fierce fantasy football rivals as well. Oof. Tough this year, wasn't it? Was it? <laughs> yeah. That shows you how, so. how into uh, football Wes Kulhoff is. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think normally good matches in the past, but this year there was was a nil nil in there. I think at one point, uh, pretty so. a, a dull a dull affair. But hopefully next year is a lot better. Chelsea seem to be doing a lot in the transfer market, selling everyone to Saudi Arabia, uh, from what I've seen. Uh, and yeah, hopefully Liverpool get a, a couple of new signings in. They've already got. Alexis McAllister in, uh, World Cup winner, young, 24-year-old, and yeah, hopefully uh, Jurgen Klopp gets them playing a lot better next year. So on a semi-serious level, how much is football part of your partnership? Uh, fantasy football. Fantasy football <laughs> is, uh, is on it, yeah, PlayStation as well. He doesn't know, can, uh, Neil doesn't really play PlayStation, no. I think, but no, uh, fantasy football is, uh, is a big thing, uh, I would say. <laughs> um, I think I finished uh, ahead of him this year. Oh, was, uh, there was yeah, a, there he was got a, that in, didn't he? There was a plus. 20, 30 points ahead of him. I think so, a little yeah. bit ahead, yeah. So, um, Who was your no. star player, do you remember? Uh, oh, actually, don't even know. I think I switched out everyone at one point. But <laughs> everybody no, I think went. Haaland. Everyone, was Haaland, everyone yeah. had Haaland. So, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, was a close season. But no, yeah, I think football is uh, yeah, kind of a, a big part of it, of, of the partnership. We like to talk about it and uh, have the same interests. So that, that certainly helps. Oh, that's good. Do you watch, uh, say if Liverpool and Chelsea played the Champions League final, would you watch together or would you watch separately? Um, I'm happy to watch together. I'm not sure with Neil. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first, first, first match of the new season is Chelsea-Liverpool. Yes. So yeah. it might be, a, might be a good one. Yeah, I mean, I'm, where we I'm are. happy to watch it with him. Um, Do you want to sit off in the corner, sort of nervous no, and shaking? No, no. I'd be, I'd be pretty confident if we went into a Champions League final against Chelsea. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, hopefully we can get, well, we can't get there next year because we're not in it. No, uh, yeah. But yeah, we'll, uh, Europa we'll, League. we'll uh, yeah. hopefully watch the uh, the first game together. But you told us last year, Neil, that you were trying to persuade Wes to be a Liverpool fan. Have yeah, you made any progress? No, not at all. Wes is uh, Chelsea uh, through and through. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've tried. He, he's probably bored of me talking about Liverpool. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... Uh, one of those things he's been a Chelsea supporter for a long time and uh, there's no uh, there's no change in him <laughs> all the way they played last year maybe a little bit more <laughs> maybe I'm shifting a bit um, now on a more serious note you are the world's number one doubles team and uh, have you any thought about how they could promote doubles a little bit more than perhaps it is doing at the moment I'm going to pass this over to Wesley because he's on the uh, he's on the council oh perfect <laughs> I am on the council yeah plenty of ideas no I think well, it's the, the biggest thing is marketing, I think, yeah. um, to market us better. Um, obviously, singles guys are, um, are are the big stars, which we understand, and we also need the big stars for to play doubles as well to to, to get the the yeah more viewers for um, for us. And um, I think the fans don't really know who we are. So if we get to play a doubles against Alcaraz or Djokovic or something, then yeah, we can play ourselves into the into the picture. But I think mainly the marketing thing marketing side of, of of doubles should be 
done better, I think. Now here and now and then you see on online a, a, a funny clip, funny point or something, but normally it's always involved. There's always a singles guy involved. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to um, to get a bit more social media attention and um, and some some more views. I mean, you can't recreate the Bryans or the Jensens. So, what can you do to make you two or, or any other pairs at the top of uh, men's doubles uh, interesting, so that people want to watch you guys as much as they want to watch the singles guys? Yeah, tough question. Um, actually, I don't know. Obviously, everyone knows the Bryan brothers and and, and the, the way Skupsky they play and, and the Skupsky <laughs> brothers as well. Yeah, I took Who can them. Forget. Exactly. I was very tough opponents always back in the day. So, um, actually, not sure. I think it's just yeah, mainly done by performance. I think and and people uh, liking to to come out and, and see us, see us perform, and see how we play. And um, but nowadays, there's so many good teams out there. So many. Um, quality matches and yeah I think if the ATP can promote that a little bit more um, I think we also get more fans into the stands to really just watch doubles instead of just watching the singles. So if you had a fan that said okay I've watched singles on the telly I'm going to a tournament why should I stay for the doubles what's the best answer you could give them? Uh, I think it's a lot the points are going to be a lot shorter um, quicker around the net um, it, can, it can be a lot of fun points in a doubles match, um, but yeah, it's just it's a completely different game in my opinion. Um, the singles guys do they do um, play a little bit of doubles, but not all the time. And it, it is a quite nice for the doubles guys to come up against singles guys to kind of um, see where we're at, see if what the the singles guys can do on a doubles court, and try and see where our, our tennis level is at. But yeah, I mean, it's more eyes on us by fans coming out. Only is going to help us in the, the doubles game. Um, but yeah, I think it would be quite a fun idea if, um, obviously talking about the marked and the doubles guys, it would be quite a fun thing to do. You had to stay with the doubles guy for the whole year to see what would happen there, um, see if they could market us a little bit better. Because the problem that they have is they doubles guys, they tend to split up a lot. They, they only play with each other just to get into tournaments every um, for certain weeks. Um, so it would be a pretty cool idea to kind of sign a contract and me and Wesley have to play the whole year together <laughs> there'll be a few fallings out along the way but uh, at least the ATP and uh, the doubles would grow yeah, that's a really good idea and uh, do you think it helps with Andre Rublev say and Karen Hachanov teaming up like they did in Madrid um, because of course some of the masters now are extended so there's a little bit more time where the singles guys can jump in however that means less jobs of course for some of the doubles guys yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a fine margin. A lot of people, I think, on the WTA, they say um, you can only get in on your doubles ranking. But I think the doubles are going to get better when the singles guys are playing. We saw that when Kyrgios and Kokonakis played in Australia. Um, they brought a lot of people to the stadium to watch doubles. Yeah, and when the likes of Nadal and Djokovic and Alcaraz these days are playing doubles, more and more people are going to come and watch. Um, and it only makes it a better atmosphere for the doubles guys. We played at Alcaraz last year in Madrid. It was amazing. Um, if we hadn't have played him, it was only I think it was the second round. We might not have had so many people watching our match. Um, so when we do come up against the top guys, they do seem to bring the fans. But yeah, I mean, it depends on where we go in the world. When we go to the America and play in Indian Wells or Miami, the it tends to see a lot more fans just come to watch the game of doubles because that's what socially what they they do and they play also uh, in England. Uh, the, in, in the UK um, and places around um, Europe like uh, the Netherlands played in Hertogenbosch um, and I, I don't think it was just because of Wes but our, 
<laughs> it seemed sure it like um, <laughs> I think so too. Um, everyone was watching doubles. Uh, the the courts are packed, so it's it's. I think it's from certain certain countries what they grow up playing socially, and um, yeah, I, I just wish doubles was shown more on the TV to kind of get us get us out there. Is there perhaps a, a lag between what people see? at the level you play at and what they play at at club level obviously it's a very different level but are there things that people who play doubles at club level and parks level can actually gain from watching you guys um, yeah obviously like I think the, the, the doubles um, people playing doubles are maybe a little bit older um, but I think it's, it's just still the same still the same principle like four, four people on the, t- on, on the court and two per team and but everything obviously happens quicker and goes faster and but but tactic I think, I think tactics wise they can they can yeah they can learn a bit um, how we um, how we approach the match how we approach, approach every point uh, what we do and what we certainly don't do and I think it's nice to to learn everyone I always speak to at tournaments saying oh it's unbelievable uh, we always play with my whatever my neighbor with my friend doubles and uh, do you have any tips and um, so it um, it's actually nice to nice to watch and even in real life I think it, it's then you really appreciate how fast it, it's going and how quick your reactions have to be to uh, to be able to win a point. And on TV, yeah, it's, it's it's tough to see sometimes. Same with singles. I mean, if you watch it on TV, you're like, okay, it's going okay, it's going fast, but nothing special. And then you really look live like on the stands, and you're like, wow, the ball travels so much higher over the net than we see on TV. So um, yeah, I think it's it's. Uh, it's a certain must do to, to come out and, and watch um, watch double, especially on the grass, because then everything goes very fast. You see, when when you listen to people at clubs about talk about doubles, the amount of times I've heard cover your line, cover your line, don't get passed down the line. <laughs> watch at your level, you're always looking for the centre. Mm. You get passed a couple of times down the line, you mustn't be passed too much, obviously. But it strikes me as a as a very different game, simply because you hit the ball so much harder. Yeah, I mean, I think with with. The British system with um, with doubles, we we have a rule of uh, get past down the line three times and then start to think about your the tactics. Um, so yeah, I mean that's what some guys can do in social tennis. They can try and squeeze the the middle a little bit more, um, take the biggest part of the uh, the court up, and uh, try and get their opponents to force them to go down the line where the the net is higher, um, the margins are a lot smaller. Um, and yeah, see what happens. That's probably one of my tips: is um, get as close to the net as possible. Don't be scared. Uh, rack it out in front, and uh, yeah, get, try and get involved. And have a good smash. I think that's something that yeah. all club players need. One, a good smash. Yeah, the uh, the lob's quite uh, popular in uh, social tennis. <laughs> Another thing that uh, you, you you hear at clubs is don't play with your wife or husband in mixed doubles because they'll always end up having an argument back home if you not have one on the court. You've been playing together for eighteen months now. Have you, have you noticed any sort of other things that irritate you? Where's about Neil or Neil? Anything about? Here we go. <laughs> Let the truth uh, no, out, Wes. So far, not. No, I mean, you can ask uh, Neil about uh, when he played with Ken. I think there was a bit more fallouts on court. I think, and, um, but um, no, so far, no. I mean, there's nothing much to uh, <laughs> to be negative about. I think. I think we started playing last year from for the first time, and we had a tremendous season, and managed to finish on top. On um, individually and as a, as a team so um, I think this year we have a pretty steady year and um, but no I think so far it's been going good and no um, 
No, no dramatic things so going on yet. So Wes is staying diplomatic. There was nothing wrong with Neil Skupski. Neil Skupski, anything wrong with uh, <laughs> Neil Skupski? Yeah, with where, should I, where should I start? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we only have a few minutes. No, it, it's, it's obviously nice when we, we obviously started the year last year together. Uh, we've been playing 18 months and we kicked off the, the partnership with two titles, two, eight, uh, two titles in Australia. And it went strength to strength. We didn't really, we haven't really come into like a, a bad patch, uh, touch wood. Um, but yeah, it's, Wes is very easy going. We have a good team around us. Um, is there anything like telepathy that's developing between you or Neil? Do you see things that you know Wes is going to do, even if he's not aware of them? And Wes, do you see things that Neil, do you expect him to do things that maybe he's not aware of? On court, you mean? Yeah. Um, I think so, actually. We don't want to know about off court. No. Uh, no, you <laughs> don't. Off court as well. No. <laughs> um, no, actually, yeah, I think that was one of the, the strangest things in the, in the start of the year, actually, because we didn't really... I think we had one week in Cincinnati where we played both with singles guys and we teamed up to, mm. uh, to have a few days of, of practice together. And um, I think from the, yeah, from the first moment on, it was like some kind of knowing what one another was going to do, if he's going to poach or not in this moment, or if he's going down the line or cross or... And I think, yeah, if you, the longer you play with someone, um, the more you develop it, I would say. If you keep on switching every week, then it's a bit tougher to um, to create that. But, no, I think at one point I know what, what Neil's going to do and what he's looking for to do. I mean, it doesn't matter if it doesn't happen all the time. But, um, yeah, at certain points in the match, on important points, uh, especially, uh, I, yeah, I know what he's going to do. If he's going to make a move or where he's going to play the 42 when... Yeah, like we always say, it's it's good to anticipate in in the doubles match rather than um, uh, than react. So um, I think that's what we have basically from the start. Yeah. Same with you, Neil. Yeah, I think it's it's also because our our path to the top has been very similar. I mean, I think me and Wes say, say, like sit same age. We've come through the Challenger Tour at the very same time. Broke onto the ATP Tour at the same time. So we've, we've we know each other game pretty well uh, before coming up against each other like when we when me and Ken would play against him in say Matway Middlecoop we we knew his strengths what his weaknesses were so coming into the partnership I knew already what Wes likes to do and what he doesn't like to do um, so that's a, a head start um, before we even started so yeah we just kind of put them plans together put our try and put our strengths together as much as possible and it seems to be working so hopefully that continues and uh, yeah we need to obviously keep improving. Just looking um, back perhaps at the past or current players, is there anyone that, a dream partner that you would pick? Uh, Either of you. Wow. I mean, it, it could be any era. Uh, Who would you love to play doubles I mean, with? I obviously, growing up, I, I used to look up to the Bryan brothers. Um, Which one would you pick though, Michael Bob? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask you that. <laughs> the one with the metal hip or not? Who's uh, who again? I think... <laughs> Bob's got the metal hip. Yeah, because because I play on the ad court. Yeah, um, so Bob I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take Bob. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then when Bob did get injured, Mike did play on the juice with Jack Sock and win Wimbledon U.S. Open, and the end they were finals. So he's he's not too bad on the juice either. So <laughs> I'll uh, I'll take either of them too. All right. And Wes, tough question. Um, actually, I think basically if you ask any coach who's been on tour the longest it's it's always about like Nestor and Zimonich and, and, and those ones who are incredibly good obviously we had back home we had Haarhaus and Elting who were doing a, a very good job in, in the 90s um, just possibly yeah I, I guess one of those four I would say just to, just to see how it there's quite a few there Wes come on <laughs> 
let's do um, hedging your bets. <laughs> I don't even know. Maybe maybe like like well, everyone was talking about like Zim- how good Zimonich was. So um, actually, I've never played with him. I don't even think I played against him. Uh, just to talk how he how he how he performs, how he played, and uh, um, I think um, my girlfriend actually played mixed doubles with him once, made it to the final. And she so, obviously liked um, him, otherwise you would have liked him. <laughs> yes, true. Um, so um, I would say, yeah, nay not. So in the match, Kulhoff and Zimonich against Niels Gupski and Bob Bryan. Who wins? It's a much must watch match. Doesn't seem to play on the juice. Uh, it could actually be. Yeah. <laughs> I'll play Are on you the okay ad. To play the other way. I'll, I'll go on the ad, but then on clay, on clay, on clay. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, you might take it on clay, and then hard uh, courts. Yeah, that'd be me and Bob on the US right, swing. So that's one one. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. Decider. Decider. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's a coin toss, isn't it? Fifty-fifty. So there you go, from fantasy football to fantasy tennis. Congratulations once again to Wesley Kulhoff and Neil Skupski for claiming their first major title together at Wimbledon and regaining their position as the best doubles team in the world. This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. One man who's helped the duo progress is LTA coach Louis Cayer, who's generally considered to be one of the great doubles tacticians. But having been at the governing body for tennis in Great Britain since 2007, I was keen to find out how the doubles game has changed in that time. The game changed a lot. Like when I started, there was less than 10% of the servers staying back in doubles. Now it's over 60%. Like uh, before, I remember Callum telling me, I don't play proper doubles, I stay back on my serve. Now if I ask him, do you play doubles? Yeah, so I serve, stay back, whack my forehand. So it's, it's very normal now for top singles players, and even some doubles, like Neil Skupski was a servant volleyer, and he converted himself on serving, staying back, anything hard is foreign. So that's changed a lot. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think maybe now servant volley, maybe maximum, maximum 10% in the women, mm. and about 40% now in the men. So yeah, it changed a lot just because of the quality of the return. And if you make a second serve, you come in, the return's at your feet. Then you volley kind of slow the ball and then the foreign or the ground stroke following is so hard it's tough at the net to control the ball. Do you think so, this will ever change then or do you think that's the way it's well, going to be? We, we, we never know eh? but right now uh, I was checking every year at one point and I think it's six seven years ago uh, I made a special training camp with the doubles players it was how to beat these singles players <laughs> <laughs> and I say uh, they, they were playing bold back so we had to develop patterns to beat uh, when we were serving a bold back, which was very frequent. When I was very young, if the person was not on the service line mm-hmm. as a receiver's partner, we say, oh, chicken, chicken. <laughs> so you play bold back. And now it's, it's pretty common, I would yeah. say. This time I didn't do the stats, but just feeling-wise, I would say 80% of the team play bold back on return of first serve on fast court. Anything. So I had to, we had to develop different patterns because the volley in between mm-hmm. now goes to easy forehand when the guy's at the baseline. Right. So we have to change the volleys, the patterns. A lot of things have to change. Are you talking about the volley in between being the first volley where the player is closer to the service line than they are the net? Or uh, is that another? Yeah. Well, for example, if they're both back, we used to always volley cross court. Right. And now we uh, we target more to do side player back end. Uh, but in the past, the ball could not have passed to go there. So we changed that. And when we're both at the net, 
it was simple to volley in between the two. Yes. You know, in the gap. But now there's no gap. And if right. you volley there, it goes to the baseliner. So we had to change. Uh, there are a lot of things that had to change. So and in your opinion, what has changed and where does that volley go then? Uh, uh, we, we train almost uh, a lot like to angle everything. And if you watch, uh, like, yeah, if you watch the guys at the net now, they, they look to angle. So we, we from the wall, we look at the, what I call a tempo volley, which is a fast volley toward the back end. And then if the ball comes a tiny bit slower, that's so hard. We're in defensive, we'll look to angle and open up the court. And mm. if the, the guy chases it, but then there's only one player left on the court. So if he doesn't do a winner, they, they are in trouble. And where's the best place for the service location? Because I remember when I was always growing up, you're trying to narrow the court as opposed to open it up. So you're reducing the angle for the opponent. Is that still the case? As we serve, yeah, as service partner, we always try to make them uh, hit a tough shot. So that didn't change. We still squeeze when it's a jump forehand. We squeeze, we do, we fake with these guys. So that didn't change. Uh, what I changed with the British players about four years ago, especially, I asked them to serve spot like in singles and and body maybe just 20 to 30% max. Hmm. So only body 30% max? Maximum, okay. even 25%. Because in the past, and many other players serve 40-50% under the principle to serve more like 66% of first serve, more in singles. But I say, look, in singles, you serve spot and you mm-hmm. serve 60-61%. So keep serving that and maybe 20% body right. will give you that 66%. But I think you're exaggerating with 50% body. And when we look at the stats, overall, you win less points. When you serve body, because if you miss a target by one foot only, you give a slot return. When you serve team, you miss by one foot, the guy still have to I see. reach, cannot put his weight in the return. So that was a, a change that we have done. And and we have trained a lot. Uh, so that's on the server and on the returner. But the return is a return, right? So we train mostly the receiver's partner. Yep. We, we break a lot of serve because of the pressure that the receiver's partner put either on the first volley or on the first round strokes. So the guy at the net, hopefully if they're playing one up, one back, is always looking to go on the second shot following the yeah. return. As a matter of fact, on the, on the return of second serve, we, we play in function of a good shot, not in a function of a bad shot, which means if he missed the return and the other one at the volley hard, there's so much steal or safe defensive great shot. But if he makes a great shot, and you were not close to the net to take advantage of it, that's a shame. I understand. So we always play like, my partner will make a good return, so second serve, and I'm going to apply pressure. And um, so we, we play very offensively in the return of second serve. How important is the lob in doubles now? Uh, very important, but more for some. For Jimmy Murray, for example, I will still lob a lot uh, because he's more precision player. I would not say he doesn't hit hard, but he doesn't hit hard. Mm. I mean, he, he won't... Uh, he won't threat you to have a bruise on your <laughs> yes. chest uh, and because of that the player may want to poach more because they're not intimidated but if he loves a lot and keep them honest by not closing in then the cross court can pass mm-hmm. and when you don't have a big weapon through pace you have to create more uncertainty through variation so Jamie will return line cross love come in so he makes up a lot, so he becomes dangerous mm. through the variation and uncertainty. So the opponents never know what's going to come. Yeah, so they cannot, on big point, have a set play. Yeah. And serve there is going to do that because they don't know what's going to do. 
and th so these players, sorry, uh, the precision player will love more. And those who have big weapon, big, big ground strokes, normally they don't love that much because they rely on, on the quality and the strength of their shot. Given that you've coached so many doubles world number ones, what do you think makes a great doubles partnership? Is it a right-hander playing with a left-hander? Is it someone who's great at the net and someone who's great at the baseline? Or what's your perfect combo? A uh, perfect combo is a team that communicate well, that they enjoy playing together. Um, even if it looks corny at any bit, synergy <laughs> is true. You know, one plus one equals three. If they have that synergy, that's why sometimes a team, when they start together, they do well. I call that the honeymoon period. Everybody wants to look nice, to support to each impress other. each other. Okay, come on, let's go. And uh, and it, and when after, when there is a certain uh, familiarity, sometimes that little chemistry goes down. And and if you can maintain that, uh, that's the really secret. So personally, what I do it's I each player individually has to be in a peak performance state which is high positive energy and okay. and you, you develop like the performer head, heart and legs each individually and as a team they need also that so it's always partner first even with the juniors at the LTA I think our girls under 12 they won like 69 match out of 72 <laughs> the European it's not bad it's, uh, <laughs> it's a higher average it's partner first ball after so if I ball in the net I go right away to my partner then I go pick up the ball so it's, we really insist the value of partnership. Partner first, ball second. And what a great uh, life to, lesson yeah, as well. Yeah, you have to go to your partner in less than three seconds. So we, I think that's essential. And if we can create that type of culture, mm. which I think I've created in the British doubles, then you, have, you can expect great results. So you still look like you've got a lot of passion for the game? A lot. Yeah, because the game itself is so exciting. So it's easy to have passion. And it's, uh, yeah, because, you know, as a coach, I, I feel all, all the time that I'm there to help players to pursue their dreams. It's, I don't see myself as just teaching foreign backends. Yeah. That could become boring. I, um, I believe that my main job is to develop a performer. So how can I transform uh, beliefs, values, mindset, attitude, mental skills to make them win? So that's, that's really, because everybody's different, and that's challenging, because it's not like a foreign, if you say bend your knee, you can see if they bend your knees right away. If you try to change a mindset, mm. you cannot see it right away, it's a longer process. But when you succeed, when you succeed to transform someone into a winner, uh, for me, that's what is really exciting. Talking about winners, let's hear now from another man with a major doubles title under his belt this year. Alongside partner Ivan Dodig, American Austin Krychek claimed the Roland Garros crown earlier this year. And when Jill Krabus caught up with him during this grass court swing, he admitted he was still getting used to the feeling of being a major champion. Yeah, it was really hard to put into words. Um, you know, it's still sinking in a little bit, to be honest. Um, it was uh, pretty cool to, to do that in Paris this year after the, the final we had last year, losing that difficult match uh, with three match points. Um, and of course, we would have liked to won U.S. Open in Australia um, after that last year. But it was pretty cool to come back to Paris and and, and do it um, in that form and, and be able to finish the job. Um, you know, I think those are the experiences you can't really buy. Um, you know, it's, it's I'm fortunate enough to play with Ivan, who's he's obviously one of the best players ever. So to be able to lean on his experience and and try to learn from that has been fantastic for me. But 
you know, as much as someone tells you um, what something's like or how to handle those kind of losses until you go through it yourself, you can't really um, grasp that. So I think last year, I mean, it was as difficult as it was at the time. I think we needed that. I think it was a good learning uh, moment for me and, and for our team to go through that. And um, I think this year it helped. Uh, we, we played, you know, you don't get this chance to play on those courts, Philip Chatrier, big courts like that as much. And I think that match last year helped us moving into the fall last year where we had some, some good good results in Basel and Paris and uh, the, the Masters indoors at the end of the year. And then qualifying for Turin, being able to play on those um, big courts and big moments, I think it helped us moving forward. And then, as, of course, coming back this year, I think we had a little bit more experience. We're a little bit calmer at the beginning. And, of course, the nerves don't go away, but at least you kind of know what to expect a little bit more. And um, I think we were we were ready this year, and luckily we were able to play good funnels and get ahead um, and win the first set. And then from there, I think we settled in a bit and started playing some really good tennis at the end. I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. How did you guys first partner together? Uh-huh. Um, well, tennis is a small world, as you know, so everyone knows everyone. But we um, in 2021 in the fall. Yvonne's uh, partner, I think he was playing with Rohan um, that fall before US Open. He, he, Rohan wasn't going to play Winston-Salem, so Yvonne and I ended up repairing last minute, and um, just by coincidence, by chance. And so we went went there, had a great tournament, lost in the finals, but had a great week, a tough third set tiebreaker in the finals, which we have plenty of. Um, but uh, we got along really well. The team got along really well, and I thought we, we connected. And, um, and we said, hey, let's keep in touch. You never know what the future holds, Yvonne was set for the fall but um you know I was kind of moving around I played uh, a great Cincinnati tournament with with one of my buddies Stevie Johnson and had a great Olympics with one of my other best friends on the tour Tennis Sangren so um you know was just trying to get in some of these bigger events and um we chatted in Miami uh 2022 and said hey let's give this a chance um in the summer and uh we decided after Monte Carlo to, to try to make a run and um, had a couple tough tournaments before the French, but then I think things kind of aligned there in Lyon last year in 2022, and, and we started playing really well from there and, and kind of built on it, and, and we, we've been trying to get better ever since. And so, yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun year and year and a couple months. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned a couple of the other American guys because yeah. we've been talking about the depth of American sure. tennis on both the men's and women's. Uh-huh. How, have, how has that support helped all of you? Do you, th- do you think that's part of the factor? or 100%, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean... All the American guys, um, from my experience, get along very well. I mean, we're, we're um, you know, there's not, right now, there's there's a ton of, of, of guys in the top 100, so it's, it's been great. But, but you know, it's not like there's, you know, an absurd number. So it's it's a pretty small-knit group, and I think we all get along great. I've, you know, grown up with all these guys, uh, Stevie and, and Sam and John, John Isner, and, um, and Tennis has been one of my best friends for the longest time. So... To um, yeah, to play a lot of doubles with those guys, and then the support um, that we've gotten after this this final, all the guys that have reached out, has really been special. And uh, yeah, I think all the guys, you know, being so many, they all push each other. I think the competition is is great, but it's also a team feeling, which is which is pretty cool to see back in a place. I mean, you know, it goes in ebbs and flows over the years um, with the American guys that rise up, and, and you know, then it's not as many guys at the top. But now it's really, I mean, coming into a phenomenal era again where these guys are just pushing each other, and the yeah. level is raising like crazy. So it's really fun to be a part of it and, and kind of watch it unfold. Yeah, and just focusing back on you. Yeah. I can only picture when you go to the ATP website and you look at your name and you see number one next to it. Yeah. I mean, I just got the chills. What? I mean, was that just an amazing moment? It was pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been a goal of mine, um, you know, to win a Grand Slam since I was a little kid and, and to be number one. Of course, that's, 
I think everyone's you know biggest goal. Um, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's attainable, but I, it it uh, it's a surreal thing. It was it was just for a week. Now <laughs> Neil and, and Wes passed me by this. I know, week but it's still number one. Yeah, that's right. So you can always <laughs> say yeah, yeah. It's, it's your number one, and, and hopefully I can get back there. Um, but yeah, we, we just try to focus on playing as good of tennis as we can, and trying to focus on the process and the little things and the result side of it. You know, hopefully takes care of itself. Um, but uh, you know, like I mentioned, it, it still really hasn't sunk in quite um, quite yet. But uh, it was pretty pretty special to to lump those into one and, and win our first Grand Slam and be number one that week and to go home and celebrate with my wife and, and family and my mom and dad were able to come up to Dallas and so it was pretty special to have even though we only had a few days at home to have it uh, with everybody as a group and um, yeah it was really an awesome moment. I mean, I, I know you're you're 33 years old. You have a long career still ahead of you, yeah. at least 10 years, right? Hope but so, I can yeah. already see you being an amazing coach, oh, just you. from the way you're talking. <laughs> um, do you is that something that you would do, like self kind of? How do you what, what do you do to work on basically keeping yourself? I mean, you're motivated, but keeping yourself trying to progress, get stronger. I mean, you've been to the top. You've been sure. number one. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you continue to? Yeah, it's a process. I mean, it's one of those things that you maybe instinctually have. I mean, I um, I was fortunate enough at a younger age being at IMG Academies where we had a, a phenomenal sports psychology program there with, you know, Trevor Moad and Angus and Mugford. We worked there. I mean, just phenomenal guys that, that put the right perspective um, in these young kids at, at an early age to really see the bigger picture, or at least try to. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, to grow up with that. And, and um yeah, I mean it's it's uh, difficult to, to explain, I guess. But um, yeah, you're you're always improving. I mean, there's there's never a, there's no finish line. I mean, we, you know, we, that's one, the good thing and bad thing about tennis is is you finish you know a week like Roland Garros where you're able to get your first Grand Slam and be number one. But you know, the Monday after that, you're <laughs> yeah, on to the next tournament. time to celebrate. Yeah, you're on to the next tournament. And you're playing the next match, and you have to go back to to work and and um, try to get better. And you're making a huge transition from clay to grass. Um, which is very difficult and then everyone really wants to beat you now um, you know moving forward to each event so you know you have to continually get better uh, you're either getting better or, or you're getting worse so uh, there's no um, there's no comfortable zone for us there we have to continue to push and I think that's what all athletes share um, no matter what does that feel different to you do you feel like there's more expectation now uh, that everyone's after you like you said I mean I think you can in a certain way but I mean I you know, for me, I try to focus on just just the process. I mean, we try to get better as a player. I think I've said this a couple times in the last week as well. That, I mean, there's there's a hundred things I could list right now of things that I can do better, of the things we can do better as a team that um, um, that we can continue to improve on. So I, I think you have to focus on those things. Um, you know, winning and losing. I mean, that that comes and goes. Um, and like I said, you're, you're going to lose almost every week anyway, so you might as well focus on the process and try yeah. to become a better tennis player. And then the other stuff kind of takes care of itself, and that's easier said than done. And, and you know, um, you know, it's not always easy to see it that way, but, but I think in the big picture you have to be able to look at it like that mm. or you're going to drive yourself insane. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what do you do off-court? What about fitness stuff off-court? Yeah, I mean, we've got a fantastic team around us Are now. you a huge – do you run marathons? Did I, I, I hear do, that? Yeah. I, yeah. I like to run a lot, um, and, and I've, I've – toned it down a little bit to be honest in the last year or so because how many marathons have you run um regular marathons actually none i've run a, a couple half marathons and then i kind of went straight into the space of doing ultras uh, you know longer than marathon distance oh just ultra so, oh. yeah so okay. a couple 50ks i mean I, I really like the for me running is um is really fun 
when it switches from being physical to mental. I, I like. Yeah. That so tell me about that. Yeah, I love that aspect. For How me. tough is that? It's it's extremely tough. I mean, I think uh, it it translates really well into all the athletics um, space. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, at a certain point in any run or or um, you know, it translates into tennis tournaments. But there's always a point where it it uh, gets to that area where you you want to stop and everything's telling you to stop. But then you have to make a conscious decision to keep going. Um, and that's where I start to enjoy it when it when it gets that difficult aspect and, and you really um, everyone hurts, everyone's feeling terrible, everyone's miserable, <laughs> and you have to kind of yeah. push push past that point and then and then you get into a zone where it's all mental. And I think for me, running is one of those areas where it's easy to get to space because there's really not many people that really enjoy it. I mean, it kind of sucks for everyone the same, no matter you know how successful you are or, or whatever. It still sucks and it's tough, uh, and I like that about it. That it kind of. But did you, did you enjoy that from the first ultra marathon you did, uh, or did yeah, actually, really? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I haven't always enjoyed running. I would say, like in college and stuff, I, I always enjoyed the aspect of something that you know made you suffer a little bit or sucked to push past that point it's always been intriguing to me but it didn't always come in the form of running it came in just in regular fitness or or, i mean these tennis tournaments where you know you have matches where you you don't know if you're going to win you don't think you're going to win and then you kind of something happens in the match you find a way we had several of those in paris this year and paris last year um and then you kind of you know get over that hump and then you start to feel better and i just i like that aspect of um the uncertainty, I guess. And, I feel like that's a huge too. asset. Yeah, absolutely. Because how many times in your career do you feel like you played lights out, like amazing tennis? Not many, not many. Right, um, so most of the time yeah. you have to learn how yep. to deal with that un- it's that struggle. I think, yeah, Paul Anacone says it fantastic. He's done a couple of podcasts recently where he talks about, you know, the there's only going to be a handful of matches where you play unbelievable and a handful of matches where you play terrible. But all that stuff in the middle is, is what makes a career. That's what makes, you know, that's where you find out where your ranking is and, and where your success is. And the fact is. that you love that. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think everyone, uh, well, maybe not everyone, but but a lot of the uh, the high, you know, athletes that play at a high level, they enjoy that. Maybe they can't put their finger on it exactly what it is, but um, you have to like that uncertainty a little bit and, and, and um, not knowing how it's going to work out. I mean, that's just, that's what makes it fun. And if it was easy, I mean, everybody would do it. And, um, you know, I think that's what uh, keeps us going and that, you know that that feeling i think what's rafa and, and these guys chase i mean they're they've won so much already but um you know they pushing themselves and how difficult it is uh, i think that's a bit addicting as well so. when's your next ultra uh you know we, we there's been <laughs> tennis actually runs a good bit too we we like to joke about it a lot tennis um, sandgren runs yeah, in them uh-huh, too tennis okay. and then one of my best friends in school austin Clores. We, we we've done those together but um you know we have to kind of see i mean like i said the last couple of years with obviously being a pro tennis player you have to realize <laughs> what yeah. your job is as well so we can't be as reckless as we were at one time but i used to do a good bit of running at these events as well but um you know i've been a little bit smarter about that in the last couple of years but we'll see i mean i would like to do one this fall and then i've got a, a slew of ones that after tennis i, I want to be able to do um at some point in time but those are those are all post tennis. So, twenty twenty four Olympics, it's tennis and marathon together. Hey, why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm rooting for you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> yep. You could do it. Uh, yeah, you never know. You never say never. <laughs> awesome, that's incredible. Thank you so much for your time, and congrats on all your success. Really, Thank you. best of luck. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks. One of the game's good guys. And thanks to Jill Krabus for that interview. Jill will be back next weekend alongside Chris Bowers. 
and they'll be joined by Australian Matt Ebden and Argentine Francisco Sarundolo to discuss what it's like being a player from the Southern Hemisphere on tour, from travel to development and everything in between should be fascinating. Well, that's it for this week. Please do check out the ATP website for all the latest news on tour. For all the latest results, head to the ATP WTA Live Scores app and to watch action from the ATP 500 in Hamburg, as well as 250 events in the USA and Croatia this coming week, please make sure you download the Tennis TV app and subscribe. I'm Candy Reid. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast and do enjoy the tennis. Tennis.